First of all, we just want to say congratulations to, to Vance and Rachel on the birth of Naley Elizabeth. And I think this is a world record. I mean, they didn't even miss a beat, right? They walked through the door, and I couldn't believe it this morning. So they're here this morning, and a, a big congratulations. We're, we're thankful to God. In our day and time, we just get so accustomed to everything going smoothly, but it's certainly a blessing of God to, that both Rachel and the baby are healthy. So we want to give thanks to God this morning for that, and, and con- congratulations to them. Uh, this Saturday, we're going to have a work day. Uh, this Saturday, March 24th at 9 o'clock. And essentially what we're trying to do is uh, get our upstairs. We've got two rooms on the side out there and, and then the big uh, attic room up there where the furnaces and stuff are. We're trying to get those cleared out. We got a, a, have accumulated a lot of stuff. Some of it we might take to St. Vincent or Goodwill. Others is just going to go to the, to the dump. Uh, but we'd like to have as much help as, as possible. And Jim is kind of heading that up as, as well. So you can talk to him. He's probably got some needs that, uh, you could maybe help with uh, ahead of time if you're interested in that. So I believe that is it. Of course, we've got Easter coming up and some events going on with that. Uh, but, but at this time, I'll have Jared come and do our scripture reading. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Our Bible reading will be in uh, Psalm 27 this morning. So if you have a copy of God's word, please turn there with me. And we will read all 14 verses. It's a psalm of David, and it's kind of hard to read this psalm without just feeling really, really good. It's a great uh, inspirational psalm to start a Sunday morning worship off with. So here we go. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, It is they who stumble and fall. I'm going to stop right here and just ask this question, as I do sometimes to my own own heart when I'm reading things like this. Do you really believe that? I mean, think about what the Word of God is saying this morning. God is our light and salvation. What basis do we have to be afraid of things? And when evil assails us, God will destroy them and cause us to, to prosper. Do we really believe that? We should, because it's God's word. It's what he's promising and pledging to us this morning. So hear it that way as I continue. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 
Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, Union Baptist Church. Will you pray with me? God, what an encouragement we have from your word this morning. What a blessing we have in these 14 verses where David wrestles with the realities of life, that there are people who hate our guts. There are people who, who despise your word. There are people who do not love the church, who are aimed against the church and are trying to take it down. But the glorious blessing that we have, the glorious promise that is ours this morning as a church and as individual believers is that we have a God who sits enthroned on the heavens, who is over all things, has all power and might, and he will not let us fail. He will not let us fall ultimately to our enemies because in Christ there is victory over every foe. Even if cancer kills us, we have victory if we're in Christ because we've not really died. We've only been ushered into our eternal reward. If, if a bullet from a, an enemy's gun were to destroy our lives, it hasn't truly destroyed our lives because if we're in Christ, again, we have been ushered into our heavenly reward. There is no way for us to fail. There is no way for us to lose. There is no way for us to be triumphed over in an ultimate sense if we're in Jesus Christ this morning. Nothing can defeat us, not addiction, not fears, not enemies, not lies, not controversies. None of those things are ultimate. If God is for us, who can be against us? And God, we praise you this morning for the glorious truth that is in your word. We praise you that these promises are ours, that we can stand on them more confidently than we can stand on blood or relationships or our own strength or our own power. Your word does not fail. If heaven and earth were to shake violently and be destroyed and the stars were to fall from the sky, your word would remain unshaken. And so God, help us as a church this morning to stand fast on the word of Christ, to stand fast in the promises of God, to have our hope and courage renewed as we look to your word and may you give us faith to cling to these promises. And God, also, if the church is to be victorious, the church must be winning souls. And so we pray this morning for the salvation of the lost. We pray believing in the promises implied by this text that you are for us and that you defeat foes and those foes stand arrayed against us this morning trying to keep our children in unbelief, trying to keep unbelievers trusting in themselves or their own goodness for salvation and there is no salvation in that. But God, gloriously, you have given us victory in the gospel message and I pray that you would unleash the power of that message this morning to save souls, to encourage faint-hearted believers, to give strength to those who are weak, God, and to help those who are barely holding on to faith to continue to cling. God, we invite you to come and we, we welcome your presence this morning. God, do come. Do strengthen us. Do bless us, God. Do set us free. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. All right, our children can head out of this time. And as they do, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and turn back again this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to continue our series this morning through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 1. 
And we'll be focusing on verses 7 through 10 this morning, but we'll, we'll read beginning at verse number 3 just so we kind of keep the context. In fact, actually, this, this whole section here, um, verses 3 through 14, really, is one long, is one of the longest uh, single sentences in, in the Bible, and that's what we have here. So uh, it really all fits together. So I'm going to read beginning at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And here's our text this morning. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite in him all things, things in heaven and things on earth earth. Well, I just want to take a minute here to kind of quickly review. As I mentioned, this is all really one uh, long sentence in, in the original language, and so I just want to, to walk through very quickly kind of the context uh, to remind you, and perhaps if you were not here last week, to kind of show you where we're, we've been and make that connection. Uh, we, we saw, first of all, that this really is a call for us. It's, it's an articulation of praise to God. It begins in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is, it is a prayer of praise. It is an, an act of thanksgiving to God the Father. And we talked about the reason for that, the reason for giving praise to God, for blessing His name, uh, is that He is the source of all the blessings that are given to us. He is the fount of every blessing. Everything that we have in our life is a blessing from God. We see as well, one of the implications we said is that not only is everything that we have a blessing from God, but what that means is that when it says that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, one of the implications of that is, is that he's not holding anything back. He's our loving Heavenly Father, and He has given you everything that you need. But then we saw that He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, we emphasize the fact that what that means is that it's not just material things. As so many of us focus on, well, my blessings are my car and my house and this and that, the material things that we look at. And we we mention that God is not really too concerned about those things. He does love us, and so he gives us what we need to get through this life. But his ultimate goal is not to make this life comfortable and luxurious for you. His ultimate goal for you is eternity. And so the things that he's blessed you with primarily are spiritual blessings. And the rest of these verses, the rest of this passage is sort of a delineation or a a, a working out of what those blessings are. Then we notice not only is is God the Father the source of these blessings, but we saw secondly that these blessings come through Jesus Christ. He's the conduit through which they come. And so the, the repeated phrase throughout this verse, throughout these verses, and really throughout much of Paul's writings, really, is the little expression in Christ, in him, 
or in the beloved. So you see that multiple times just in these few verses. In, in verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. At verse 4, even as he chose us in him. Uh, verse 5, we are, have adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse number uh, 9, he's set forth this plan in Christ. Uh, and he's going to unite all things in Christ. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse number 13, in him you also heard the word, when you heard the word of truth, uh, you, you believed. And so that repeated in him, through him, in the beloved, is pointing us to the reality that the blessings that God gives to us, they come in one way, in, in one path, through one conduit, and that is through Jesus Christ. Every blessing of God the Father comes to you through your connection with Jesus Christ. We talked about how that phrase in Christ refers to, the, to our union to Christ or a connection to him or our, our, our relationship with him. And we saw how it, it is as a result of us knowing Christ, being in Christ, being connected to Christ, that the blessings of God come to us. So the there are no blessings that come to us in some other way on the merit of who we are or something that we've done. They all come to us in Christ. The third thing that we saw last week was just to look at what are some of those blessings. And we started with the first blessing that is mentioned in here. And that is the fact that God has chosen us in him and has predetermined to adopt us as his children. He's chosen to adopt us. He says, I, I look at that child, that orphan, that rebel, that, that enemy of mine, and I'm going to make that, that person a child of mine. He has determined to adopt us into his family. We see this in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And then we see it again in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And then one more time in verse 11, which we uh, have not been to yet. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so the first blessing that we are called to praise God for is the fact that he has chosen to make us part of his family. It's his will. What a blessing. I want to see one more thing that I didn't highlight last week, but just sort of a crucial part of the structure of this text is that there's sort of a, a Trinitarian focus to, to this uh, passage. Uh, we, we know that the Bible teaches that God is one. There is one God, but this God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one of those persons is, is distinct. And each one of those per persons of the Trinity play a unique role in our salvation. And that's actually what the Apostle Paul does in, in these verses. First, he highlights, and what we looked at last week, was the role of the Father in predetermining or choosing to adopt us into his family. We, we saw that in verses 4 and 5 and 11. We see the work of the Father. But then, and what we're going to focus on this morning, is the work of the Son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, God has chosen to adopt us into his family. And now we're going to talk about, well, what role did the son play? The son came to redeem us, to buy us back, to set us free from our sin so that we could be united to the father. And then later on, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in verse number 13. In him, 
you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, uh, you, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so we see the work of the Spirit, and we'll focus more on that come next week. But so we see that, that Trinitarian emphasis that is, or structure that's found in this passage. But this morning we want to focus on the work of the Son. And in these verses, I think we see two, two aspects of what Jesus does for us, two, two things that Jesus does to save us, if you will. Uh, the first is this act of redemption, and then we see the work of restoration. So we're going to really just focus primarily on the work of redemption this morning, and maybe at the end we'll bring in this idea of, of restoration. But I just want us to park and to camp for, for most of our time here this morning in verse number 7. In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we have redemption. Now that's a word we just sang about it. I am redeemed. And there are so many songs, whether you like the old hymns or you like new contemporary music, there are so many of our Christian hymns that focus on and talk about the fact that we have been redeemed. And I don't know that too many of us really know specifically what that means. What does it mean that we've been redeemed? We, I think, have a general idea of understanding that it means in some way I've been delivered or, or saved in some way. But I just want to take a minute for us to meditate and to think deeply about this. One person has just given a very concise definition of it. Redemption means deliverance, deliverance by the payment of a price, deliverance by the payment of of a price. Now, in biblical times, uh, there are certain ways that you could find yourself in a situation in which you might need to be redeemed. Of course, one of the primary things that, is that slavery was alive and well, and so people could be bought and sold, and there was a, a price attached to that. If you were a slave, there, there was a certain price to buy you or to buy your freedom. In certain instances, somebody might love you and care very deeply about you. And so uh, they might be willing to go to, to your owner and say, I'm willing to pay this ransom price. I'm willing to pay this price of redemption. And, and as a result, they would set you free from your slavery. Just like we just sang about, I'm gonna shake off these shackles and these, these chains, right? That's the idea. We're, we're, we're enslaved to sin and we've been set free from it. There's also the idea of, of debt. Sometimes people could get themselves into a great deal of debt and they wouldn't be able to pay it. Uh, and this day and time, you didn't just file a chapter 13, and that's what it is, right? Chapter 13, you didn't just file bankruptcy and walk away like everything was okay. Uh, you were forced to pay this debt. If you could not pay it, uh, you might sell yourself into uh, a, a temporary arrangement of, of enslavement and, and the price for your freedom would be the, the payment of your debt. Other times this word is used with the idea of captivity or bondage. So if you were captured by the enemy, uh, maybe there was a ransom price that could be paid. There was also sometimes uh, certain legal uh, judgments that would be given against you. And so you would, you would be under condemnation and, and you would have some sentence uh, given to you by the court, and there could be a price uh, that could be paid to buy your freedom. 
a couple of things that we highlight in this. One is the idea of a ransom price. So, so you get the idea here. To be redeemed, a person has to pay the price to redeem you. And that price to redeem you is called the ransom price. Okay? So, so that's how those words are related. In order for you to be redeemed, the ransom has to be paid. There's an amount that must be paid for you to go free. Now, there's true that certain places in the Bible, it doesn't always uh, clearly articulate in every case where redemption is used that there was some price to be paid. But, but that's the fundamental idea that underlines, uh, that underlies this word. It's, it's, it's freedom that comes as a result of a payment price being met. So let me read you just a couple of, uh, of definitions here to help us just further get this in our minds uh, the Eerdmans Bible Dictionary says this about redemption. It is the release from legal obligation or deliverance from desperate circumstances. And it's closely connected with a payment necessary to effect that release. One other person put it this way. In every case, talking about redemption, in every case, the conception is the delivering of or the setting free of a man from a situation from which he himself was powerless to liberate himself or from a penalty which he could never, uh, which he himself could never have paid. So again, redemption is deliverance, something you couldn't do for yourself. You're in a situation that you cannot get out of. You're indebted or you are imprisoned or you are captured or you are enslaved. You cannot free yourself and there is a price that must be paid for your freedom. It's got to come outside of yourself. You're not going to be able to do this. It's got to come from somewhere else and someone else pays the price to deliver you. They buy your freedom so that you can uh, no longer be enslaved. Well, the question for us, as we think about this and just, again, continue to meditate on what, what Paul is saying here and this blessing that God has given us through Jesus Christ in him, we have redemption. Uh, what is it that we need to be re redeemed from? What, what is it that, what is the debt that we have that cannot be paid? What, what, in what way are we enslaved that we must be set free? Well, the Bible is clear that we are as fallen human beings, all of us are sinners, and we are enslaved to our sin. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Romans 6, 17 says, we were once slaves of sin. Romans 7, 14 says that I am of the flesh sold under sin. We're in bondage. And we know what the Bible teaches about the, the punishment or the end result of our being enslaved to sin, that the punishment that is coming on us because of our sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. What, what our sin brings about, the consequence or the judgment of our sin is death. That is the price that must be paid then, is, is death. Ezekiel 18, 20 says, the soul that sins shall die and isn't that what Paul says that we need to be delivered from here in these verses in him we have redemption look at verse 7 through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses or the forgiveness 
of our sins. What is it that we're enslaved to that we need to be freed from? It is our trespasses. We need the debt of our sin to be paid. We need to be delivered from enslavement to sin. This word trespass is a word that means to make a false step or a mistake, a fault or error. But, but lest we think that somehow that this is some kind of minimal thing like, oops, I just kind of messed up a little bit here. In the Bible, this trespass is something that has volition. It's something that has intentionality behind it. It's not as if we just, oh, there's a little misstep. Man, I just messed up a little bit. Maybe God will overlook it. It is an intentional, volitional, willful act of trespassing against God. The Bible is clear that there are sort of aggravating circumstances to our sin. You know, it, as you stand before a judge in a court of law, sometimes they might show leniency depending on the, the circumstances. If there was no willful intention here, if this is something that just happened, if, if the effects or the results of this really didn't bring about any, any great harm to anyone, perhaps a judge might show you leniency. But there are other times when you stand before the judge when when there are aggravated circumstances, right? We, we even have that like aggravated assault. There are other attendant circumstances that go along with your action. Like, like you didn't just give somebody a black eye. This guy is in the hospital in a coma. That's aggravated assault. There's something really bad. The, the effect of your action is great. Or if there was some kind of willful, volitional kind of a premeditation to your act, then it's aggravated. And so when we talk about trespasses being sort of a misstep or a mistake or a fault or an error, this isn't something that is just, oops, I, I didn't have any intention here. This is a willful, premeditated, aggravated kind of activity. We know what God has declared to us. We know what God expects of us. And we say to God, no, I think I won't do that. I think I'll do this instead. It's aggravated. And so we need... We need the payment or the judgment, the condemnation for our sins to be paid. We need somebody else to deliver us from the judgment of our sin. And that's what this word forgiveness means. Again, in Ephesians 1, let's just, we're just focusing on each word of, of this verse in verse number 7. In him we have redemption. We've seen this through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of here is a, the idea of a release of, of captives or the cancellation or release from a legal charge, a financial obligation or, or a punishment. And so we need to be released from the condemna condemnation. We need to have somebody who's willing to let our debts go or to pay our debts. And so the debt that we owe in this analogy is a sin debt and our account has to be settled. The captivity that we are in is a captivity to sin and, and a ransom price has to be paid for us to be released from it. We are slaves to sin and our freedom must be purchased by someone else at a costly price. We are imprisoned by sin and the bail price must be paid for our release. So we are enslaved and indebted to sin and redemption then involves our being set free or having our debt paid well the question and hopefully most of you know this what what is the price for our release what what is the price that must be paid and again it's right in in this verse uh, verse number seven in him we have redemption through his blood through his 
blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And so it is clear that this redemption price is paid in Jesus Christ. It's in him and it's through his blood. Now the idea of of blood being shed is a a symbolic expression. It's not as if Jesus could have just, you know, cut his hand and say, there, I've shed my blood for you. No, to, to shed your blood means to give up your life. It means to to die. And that's what this is talking about. The, the shedding of blood through his blood is an expression that's pointing us to the fact that Jesus died to pay the price for your freedom. The, the cost that was at stake here, the cost that had to be paid, we've already seen was death. The wages of sin is death. You deserve death for your sin. And Jesus stepped into that and paid the ransom price for you. He died in your place so that your debt could be forgiven so that you could be freed from the obligation that you had in him we have redemption through his blood in the old testament redemption was brought about through the sacrificial system we know that the that god had uh, commanded them to offer sacrifices for their various sins and there were different kinds of sacrifices but all of that was pointing them to this reality Someone has to pay the price for your sin. Someone has to die so that you can go free. And we know from, uh, obviously from the New Testament, it teaches us that those bulls and the goats and the lambs that were sacrificed, those things never actually paid the price for their sin. Those things were just merely symbolic to point them to this reality. Someone's got to die for your sin. The judgment has to be paid. The debt has to be paid for you to be released. The ransom price has to be paid. And it's death. It's the shedding of blood. We know that all of that pointed us to Jesus Christ. As Jesus uh, enters the scene of the Gospels, one of the first things that we find is John the Baptist looking to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John the Baptist is saying that, he's, he's got all of this baggage from the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament uh, saint would realize what he's talking about when he talks about a lamb of God who takes away the sin. He's talking about that sacrificial lamb. And he's saying that Jesus is that substitute. He is the lamb who's going to come and take the, 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 the debt of our sin, the, the price of our sin, and he's going to pay it himself by shedding his blood. By dying on the cross, Jesus' life is the price for your ransom. You see, you could never pay your sin debt. Remember, to be redeemed, obviously it requires somebody outside of the situation. You're enslaved. You've got a debt that you can't pay. It's beyond your means. It's beyond your ability. This salvation or deliverance has to come from outside of you. It can't be you. So so this debt that you've got, you're not just going to be able to work it off. You're not going to be able to go to enough church services and prayer meetings and do enough good deeds to somehow work off your sin debt. That will never do. The price has to be paid in full. And you could never do it. Jesus' life was the cost of our redemption. We find this in Mark 10.45 clearly over and over again. In the New Testament, the price of our freedom, the price of our debt being paid was the blood of Jesus Christ. And not in some gruesome way. It's just, again, that blood of Jesus Christ is an expression that talk about his death. He had to die in your place. You deserve to die 
and he died in your stead. So we look at a few passages. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that verse should have a little more meaning to you now as you understand the whole concept behind redemption and and a ransom price. The, The ransom price is the price that's paid to redeem you. It is the price that is paid to buy your freedom. And so Jesus says here that the Son of Man came. He didn't come for other people just to serve Him, but instead He came to serve. Namely, He came to give His life as a ransom for you. He came to die in your place so that you could be freed from the judgment of your sin. We see it again in Acts 20, verse 28. Paul exhorting the elders in in Ephesus. He says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So a warning or an encouragement to pastors, listen, take care of the flock that God has made you an overseer in. To care for the church of God Why does he care so much? Why why is there such a great responsibility on pastors to care for the church of God over which he's made them overseers? He says this, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, he didn't just just set us free and, and then we just go do whatever we want. When you're ransomed, he's buying you for himself. We're no longer slaves to sin. Now we're, the book of Romans tells us, we're slaves to righteousness. We're, we're bought so that we might serve him. We are, we're, it's not as if we're no longer slaves. We're just, uh, our ownership has changed. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to the Lord. We obey him. We follow him. And, and, and uh, uh, Paul warns those elders in Ephesus. He's saying, listen, take care of the church of God. Watch over them. Give them oversight because Jesus bought this church with the price of his blood. He obtained it with his own blood. He gave his life. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Again, there's that idea of ransom, a price that was paid. You were ransomed from your, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. The old sinful ways that your dad and your grandfather and, and the ways that you live, you've been redeemed, you've been ransomed from those, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, Listen, when, when God purchased you, when he delivered you, when he bought your freedom, he didn't use something so trivial and perishable as, as gold and silver. The cost that he paid was infinitely greater. He did not buy it with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so the price of our freedom. Do you know that this morning? The price of your forgiveness. Look, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It's free to all who will turn to Christ and believe. It's free to anyone who will have faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him. It's free to all, but it's not cheap. It cost him the life of his son to deliver you from forgiveness. So, so I don't even have this. I'm jumping ahead here, but let's, let's just not treat this as a trivial thing. Let's not treat sin as some light matters. Like, well, God will forgive me. He'll sweep it under the rug. No, the cost of your forgiveness was his own son, the life of his son. It ought to cause us to reflect as we we act in sin. We see this as well. Just the great price that is paid in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, according to the riches of his grace. He didn't pay a small price for you. The the price of your freedom, the price of your forgiveness was not something small or trivial. It was according to the riches of his grace. One person put it this way. He said, it took the wealth. It took the wealth of God's grace to redeem and forgive the sinner. The cost of sin was the supreme sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ. Well, as a result of having been redeemed, here's the reality for us as believers. We're set free. That's that's what we sang about this morning. I've been set free. We're free from the penalty. There's Romans 8.1. There is no longer any condemnation. As you are here this morning, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have faith in him, if you're connected to him, there's no condemnation for your sin. Praise God. You don't have to carry it around. You don't have to think, boy, I really messed up this morning and let that weigh you down and let that, let that carry you around for the rest of your life. Your sins have been washed away. Your debt is paid. You're no longer a slave to that. So shake those things off. Forget about them. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free. We ought to praise the Lord for this. This truly is a blessing that we have in Christ. As a result of this redemption, we've been set free. Galatians 1.3 says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. You've been delivered from sin this morning. There's no condemnation. There's no penalty for you to bear anymore. Isn't that wonderful news this morning? Aren't you glad that you you know that you've sinned already this morning? Most of you men were probably mean to your wives. You've already sinned. You've already rebelled. Your your life is a life chocked full of sin. If we were to play the reel of of my life, we'd be here forever just seeing failure after failure, misstep after misstep, mistake after mistake, error after error. And we could look at all of it and I could say that doesn't change anything. I've been set free. I've been delivered from those sins. There's no condemnation. Romans or Revelation 1.5 says this to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We've been freed. Revelation again, 5 verse 9 says this, and they sang a new song. What are we going to be singing about in heaven? What is it that we're going to praise God for all eternity? What are we going to be singing about? They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We've been set free. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. So let me just, a couple application points here this morning from this from these thoughts. First of all, Christians, do you see the beauty of this? And we've already emphasized it, but just come back to it again. You presently possess, if you are in Christ, if you have faith in him, if you have trusted in him, you presently possess forgiveness and redemption for all your sins. Again, look at verse seven one more time. In him, we have it. We, we have, not maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe one day in the future, God will overlook or I hope I hope that when I stand before the Lord, maybe he will forgive me of my sins. If you have believed in Jesus Christ this morning, it is your present possession in him. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins as we stand right now as 
sinners. So you presently possess it. A couple things that that ought to do for us. First is it ought to lead us to praise God. If you can hear these things and, and, and you can understand them with your mind and they don't cause your heart to celebrate. If they don't cause you to want us to call Daniel up right now and just sing that, one, that song one more time that I'm redeemed and, and just give praise to the Lord for what God has done, there's something wrong. The Christian is a person who never gets over the fact that Christ has redeemed them, that all their sins are forgiven. We ought to praise God. Secondly, I think an implication or application of, of these truths is this, that we ought to live in light of this reality. Too many Christians are walking around in various ways as if they were still in bondage to sin. Some of you this morning for years and years are still carrying guilt with you because of some sin that you committed 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. And, and you just know, I, I, I can't believe that I've been forgiven of that. I, I just, I, I know what I've done. I know my heart. I know how wicked I am. I know how sinful I am. And I'm just carrying that around. But look this morning, it doesn't matter what you've done. The vilest offender, the song says, who truly that, believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ every last sin has been paid and you can celebrate that this morning don't walk or walk around as as if you're still guilty before God as if he's still angry at you as as if he's still got something against you and he's out to get you and he's going to punish you and strike you down with lightning because of what you've done. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness of all of those things. The judgment has already, has already fallen. There's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He does not come into judgment. This morning, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you do not come into judgment. The sentence has already been handed down in Jesus Christ, but it says this, but he has passed from death to life. You've already passed, okay? There's no fear that God's going to bring death because of your sin. The wages of sin is death, but you've already passed from death into life. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So believer, live in that. Walk in that. Listen, God disciplines his children. There are times that he brings difficulties into our life as a, as a form of discipline to get us on the right path and, and to strengthen our faith and all of those things. But God is not in heaven just waiting to pour out his condemnation on you anymore. Those sins have been paid for. They're, you're free. So live in that freedom. Here's the reality. Again, I'm getting off here a little bit. But the reality is the greater motivator for you to grow in your Christian life, the greater motivator for you in terms of obedience to Jesus Christ is not fear of judgment. The greater motivator for you in, in terms of following Jesus Christ is the reality that I've been forgiven. And because I've been forgiven, I'm going to live for the Lord. It's a, it's a motivator that comes from love, not from condemnation. And that ought to be what drives us as believers. If you're here this morning and you're here because, well, I guess I should go to church because God might strike me down or he might cause problems in my life if I don't. Look, look, we ought to be here because we're celebrating the freedom and the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. 
one more application point, and that is this. If you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you do not have forgiveness. Again, all of these blessings that we're talking about, they come only through Jesus Christ. They are in him. It's through his blood. So again, in John chapter 3, we all know John 3.16, but John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You've already passed, we saw, from death into life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This morning, if you have never come by faith to Jesus Christ, if you have never rested in him, if you have never given your life to him, if you have never trusted in him, this morning as you sit, the judgment of God is upon you. And the only thing that is, that is saving you from hell right now is God's grace in prolonging your life. If you were to step out of here this morning and, and be in a car accident or have a heart attack or, or if the Lord himself, if Jesus was to return this day, the, the wrath of God would fall on you and you would be consigned to eternity in hell. But, but the wrath of God remains on the person who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, don't think. Don't think this morning. If you're here and you're outside of Christ, don't think that you'll be forgiven on some other basis. If you just think, well, God's just this loving guy and he'll just forgive me and he'll just sweep my sins under the rug. No, God has made a way of salvation, but he's only made one way of salvation. And it isn't through your good works and it isn't for you trying to make up for all the bad things that you've done. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. He holds it out. He extends it that whosoever will may come. If you will come to Jesus Christ and believe in him, your sins will be forgiven. Your debt will be paid. But that's the only way that you will be forgiven. Again, I mentioned this last week, but I think it bears repeating. God has made a way of salvation, but he has only made one way of salvation. Jesus said, as Daniel read this morning, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way that you're going to have that relationship with the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. You've got to come through faith in him. We're in Acts 4.12 again. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God has made the way of salvation, but he's only made one, and it's through Jesus Christ. This morning, as, as we conclude, I, I would just encourage you to examine your life and your heart. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him have you trusted in him for salvation not not have you tried to be religious not have you tried to be spiritual have you read your bible have you gone to church have you been baptized but have you believed in jesus christ as your only way to be redeemed that's the only way of salvation i would encourage you to consider that this morning let's pray our heavenly father we come to you this morning and we do want to ask god if there be one here this morning who does not know you if there is one here this morning who has never believed and trusted in Christ, if they, if your wrath is still abiding on them, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would open their eyes this morning, that you would give them faith, that you would give them this revelation uh, of who your son is, and that they would look to him perhaps for the first time in faith. They would trust in him and have their sin debt canceled and that they would be set free. We pray that you might do that this morning. It's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen.